Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ the Teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and today we will be talking with Christopher Ice, the CEO and founder of Ice Executive Coaching and Consulting, in Winter Park, Florida. And Chris has led a number of organizations in the for-profit as well as the nonprofit sectors. He has owned his own uh, healthcare company, was CEO of Catholic Charities uh, in Kansas City, St. Joseph uh, Diocese, and most recently served as president and CEO of Ave Maria University in Florida. In addition, Chris has consulted with private equity firms across the country uh, with revenues in excess of $20 billion and now shares his vast experience uh, of successfully rebuilding organizations through his uh, consulting and coaching business, ICE Executive Coaching and Consulting. When he was serving uh, as the president of Ave Maria University, he successfully led the university through the global pandemic, something that All of us remember with uh, great trepidation, I know. And uh, this was also in the midst of his own personal tragedy, and we'll be able to talk about that in a little bit. As president, he and his team established new university fundraising records by a whopping 160% over the previous best year in history. He increased uh, new student enrollment as well as retention to record highs and reduced the overall tuition discount rate. So, What a a great uh, footprint he left there. Uh, His creative approach in leadership, marketing, and great interpersonal skills made him the recipient of the prestigious Naples, Naples, Florida Top 100 Most Influential Business Leaders in the Community. Uh, Chris is a graduate of St. Mary of the Plains College in Dodge City, Kansas, as an MBA from Franciscan University in Steubenville. And I have to add this personal note, because I think this is fascinating, and that is that Chris still holds the NAIA baseball career uh, batting average record at 480 career average while in college. So uh, that's just amazing. And he also is the proud father of seven children 
and the grandfather now of three. And uh, Chris has written a new book on leadership called Walking the Leadership Type Rope. And again, we'll talk about that book in just a bit. So, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you, Father Randy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, so I'm good excited. To catch up with you. <laughs> yeah, this has been good because we first met back uh, many years ago when you came to Kansas City as the head of Catholic Charities. And I was the president of uh, St. Michael High School. And I think we met at a game between St. Pius and St. Michael High School for the very, that was the first time we met. And uh, right. uh, <laughs> in, in the midst of that, I actually had two of your sons go through school at St. Michael, which was wonderful. And uh, well, Chris, we like to start out each program by giving our guests an opportunity to share about themselves. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your background. Well, you you shared a lot of it there, uh, but I did. Gr I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, so pretty close to where um, you are. And uh, I ended up. Um, I you know you talked about Catholic education. I I had Catholic education through my whole life, all the way through my master's degree. Outside of two years, I had two years of public school, seventh and eighth grade, because Lawrence didn't have a Catholic grade school going through eighth grade at the time. Uh, so that, so I've always grown up within Catholic education spheres. It was important in my family. And in the in in um, on the flip side, uh, that was pretty much the way I've handled it with my family as well. All of my kids have gone through Catholic schools all the way through college, and two of them, well, one of them with her master's degree. So, so anyway, so that's that's a little bit about uh, my background. I was in the um, insurance industry for almost twenty three years, um, and working with commercial insurance. So I, I had a corporate background setting. Um, worked my way up through the ranks in uh, leadership positions, eventually uh, going into my into business for myself on the side uh, with the healthcare, two hospice programs. And then I jumped into the higher education back in 2012. So that's kind of a fast forward. You covered the rest of it from there. So I'm sure we'll dig in a little more. So Yeah. And you began at Steubenville, right? In uh, major gifts? I did. Yeah, that was my first um, uh, jump back into higher ed. So actually, when I first came out of college. I was a college baseball coach. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. The same area of the plains. <laughs> so actually I, um, I, I had, I got a business degree, but I wanted to teach and I didn't, I don't, I, I don't know how I got through four years of college, not realizing you can't teach with a business degree unless you have an education <laughs> component. So, right. <laughs> so, anyway, so I went into coaching and worked in admissions and I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, then I got into the commercial insurance industry from there. So and then in 2012, made the jump, I'll call it back into higher education at Franciscan University. So. OK, wow, that's quite a career. And uh, I had forgotten about uh, that. You spent so many years uh, with Federated, I guess it was. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, anyway, and that all of that just kind of it. it gels into a unique background of of helping people learn how to lead in various cultures and everything i'm sure yes yes you know because there is a there is a different uh uh dynamic when it comes to you know the nonprofit or the corporate sector and you have different things you have to you know balance and everything that you're doing mm -hmm. But in some respects, there's a lot of similarities and there's not a lot that not a lot of difference um i will say higher education and, and education in general is different in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. Higher education, in respect, you have faculty and you have tenures and you got you have some of that type of thing. So it's a little bit, a uh, little bit, it's a different challenge than necessarily into the corporate world. So, 
Yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting, though, that you do find those overlaps and you can apply some of the previous to the latter and, and things like that. Now, right. you know, I have to tell you that one of my most vivid memories about my time at St. Michael, I loved being able to celebrate the daily mass in the chapel. We had this beautiful chapel. Of course, the school was brand new. And uh, I always loved celebrating uh, mass there uh, in our uh, Sacred Heart Chapel. And there is this one mom who was a regular there every day. I could count on her being there. And her name was Mary, uh, Mary Ice. That's right. That's right. And uh, this was back when you were with Catholic Charities. And uh, Mary was always there. And um, I know it was during your time in Kansas City that her health, again, kind of took a downturn. Right. Uh, could you just share a little bit of, of Mary's story? Because she is such a brave woman. Yes. Well, she um, she's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, we made that decision early in my career. And then she decided to homeschool our, our children. And so as we were, we had worked through that. Um, when it came to, usually the boys, when the boys came around, we made that a change in putting them into uh, the high school. But, but it was in 2015 when we were in Steubenville that she first uh, was diagnosed with late stage three breast cancer. And uh, so she went through all the chemo treatments or 16 rounds of chemo treatment. She had surgery. She also had radiation. And and by the end of uh, 16, we were feeling pretty good about her diagnosis that she was clear. Um, in 2017, we made the move to Kansas City, where I became the CEO of Catholic Charities. And um, two years later, um, they found a, a tumor or cancer had returned. That was in uh, April of 19. And um, so we, um, she went again through less chemo, was caught in early stages, stage one. Uh, and we thought we were completely through. Um, she and But we had planned a pilgrimage to Rome in Assisi, uh, along with Bishop Johnston, um, and made that trip. And she was worried, but this was in October, and she was worried that she wasn't going to be able to make it. Well, she did. And she had energy that was... Um, just really through the roof. <laughs> but, you know, mm -hmm. all the while, you know, you, you're inferring something. She was going to mass every day. She's extremely faithful. She was a, a devoted, um, just one of the holiest women I've, I've ever known, really, in so many respects. And um, so we went on this pilgrimage and she was, I mean, she was going all over on this pilgrimage, running around like, a, like she had just new life. And um, we came back in November. And in Thanksgiving time, she wasn't seeing very well. And we went to the eye doctor and she, they found a tumor on the left uh, on her brain. And uh, so they, a week later, we had surgery. They removed it. We did three radiation treatments. They said she would be fine. I then made the change to become the president of Ave Maria University. Um, we moved uh, in April because all the schools closed through the global pandemic. Right. St. Michael's was just operating virtually. So we said, right. let's go ahead and move the family, get everybody together. And uh, when we got to Florida on Easter Sunday morning, she wasn't feeling well. And uh, then at that time, two weeks later, I, we went to the emergency room. Two weeks later, uh, she passed away. The brain or the cancer um, metastasized through the brain. Uh, and wow. we didn't know it. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so quite a shock. She never unpacked a box in our new home. So, yeah. It's quite an adjustment, adjusting to a new home, uh, new life, new job, yep. new surroundings, and to have that hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, yeah. and how, through that whole thing, it, it just seemed to me as one from the outside, just kind of connecting in every once in a while, that your family just kind of just uh, orbited around each other and just really supported each other. And uh, through that and prayer and just your relationship with the Lord, things just continue to be worked out. Well, I, I can speak for myself, you know, specifically that it was due to my faith that I was able to work through all of those things. And it goes back to my childhood where I've always integrated my faith, Catholic faith with everything that I've done. I'm not one of these, you know, I left the faith, came back or, you know, I was a wayward son and all those type of things. Not that I was a wayward. I've been, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've been a child yeah. times, but, but then I was, I never miss Sunday mass. Um, you know, always has availed the sacraments to my personal life and uh, Eucharistic adoration, you know, reconciliation all, all my whole life. And I believe that when that toughest time came in my life, that was able to sustain me more than anything. And my kids, you know, they they were different. I mean, yes, they they were forced in some respects. They were in a new community in a global pandemic where nobody's coming out of their home. They right. were forced to really look internally and to rely on each other, uh, which they did. I can say that it was also during those times that it was a challenge for me running a university with those trying to balance the things at home that, you know, I'm watching my kids suffer greatly with the loss of their mother. And it was, you know, uh, um, worked through all of that. And you heard some of the numbers of the things that we succeeded at, praise God, I give him all the credit. And, um, but when it came after a year of that, um, I felt like I was exhausted at the finish line. And uh, I looked at my kids and at that time, the only the two girls were left at home. And uh, I said, I, I need to be at home. So that's what I did. I, I resigned and uh, relocated to Winter Park, Florida. And it's mm -hmm. been a blessing. I can tell you the girls yeah. have, I mean, three years now it's been, and they're totally different. They went from never hugging me, Father Andy, um, in in the, um, June of 21 to now it's great communication. Hey, dad, here's where we're going. Hugs, kisses, you know. And it's um, it's a beautiful transformation, and actually affirmed my vocation as a father. So much That's more fantastic. got affirmation as a president. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know the thing is, I and, and this, and it kind of speaks to, I think the book, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. you know, really, leadership is not just what I do at my job; it is who I am as a person. That's correct. And, uh, and that's really, you know, what we want to talk about today is talk about leadership. Um, and, you know, in Catholic education, which is the majority of our audience, you've got all kinds of different levels of, of uh, leadership. You have classroom leadership, uh, department yes. leadership. Uh, you've got uh, principals, you know, um, marketing, development, communications. And then you got the president with his fundraising load and all of those things. Yes. Um, I want to begin with just what might be an overgeneralized question, but uh, as a beginning point, can you give us a good working definition of leadership? Mm. Well, leadership is creating the culture that you want to create within your organization. And so if you want to create a leadership culture of, of fear and and violence, start firing people immediately or threatening. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <Yeah. laughs> that's you. That there are leaders, right? There's different types of leadership, but the leadership that thrives is one 
that develops a culture of positivity and empathy and, you know, getting into people understanding where people are, which is the tenets of our Catholic faith. I mean, we we shouldn't be walking into a Catholic organization with with hate and and, and fear and, you know, and terminations. You know, I know uh, for so often people look at just the financials when it comes to an organization. And when it comes to a nonprofit, especially in education, there's going to be times where you're going to have to pray your way through some things and board members aren't going to understand that. <laughs> right. But when you create that culture and you open up and you become vulnerable yourself as a leader, create vulnerability, you create trust and people want to work for somebody like that. They want to help. That's why they're there. They're there for the mission for a reason. <laughs> they're not there for the money. We all know that. Yeah. But when they understand the challenges and you can create that, at the, people, I've seen them rise up to new levels and, and just do great things. So I, I think you know, leadership can take on a variety of forms, but my style is just what I described, is that empathetic leadership, getting in and understanding people takes time, takes work, because you have to get to know people as they are. But you know what's interesting? You mentioned even classroom leadership. You look around, Father Randy, you, you as a president probably walked through St. Michael's at times, and, and there were teachers that had just awesome classrooms, awesome reviews, and there were others that you're going, I'm not sure why they're here, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but on the flip side, if you dig in and you find out what their style is, you know, if we could just model those great teachers, mm-hmm. you know, and you could just transform an organization quickly. So, well, now, are there, you know, you hear talks about leadership styles. Yes. Are there like categories of leadership styles, or do you see there, being one thing that you really need to aspire to, but you do it through a different personality. How do you view that? Yeah, well, there are definitely different leadership styles because you have different people with different personalities. So you have, if you have an introvert leader, okay, people, a lot of times they'll overlook introverts for leadership positions who are very smart, but they may not be able to articulate, you know, their vision in a, in a way that people understand. But if you take the time to get to know them, you're going, wow, they're extremely insightful and can be great leaders. And what I've done even in my executive coaching business is to help those leaders learn how to communicate better so they can inspire others. So that inspirational leadership is big. Transformational leadership is another one. So there are different categories. Um, and I, I, I um, you know, the, the people never really talk about the negatives. <laughs> But right. You can almost walk into any grocery store, any, you know, organization that you want, even even Catholic churches. And you can almost tell what the pastor is like just by the flock and how yeah. they respond, you know. And so what culture are you creating? You know, is it one to, you know, go to mass, get in, get out. And we got a 15 minute <laughs> mass, you know, Yeah. maybe, I don't know. Um, but maybe it's one that people come out inspired and talking about the gospel when they're all done. That's the message you want to send across. So anyway. So leadership in whatever way your personality moves or, you know, there are, of course, you can look at the choleric and the phlegmatic, uh, melancholic and uh, sanguine and all of those different temperaments and everything. But basically, then you see leadership as as influence. Exactly. However you however you do it, you've got to influence others to. I mean, you can order people to do things. Yes, that's a manager. I call that a manager, not a leader. Okay. 
that's a good <laughs> yeah, clarification, so, isn't it? A difference between a manager is. and a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. A manager, he, he they place orders and everybody is expected to just take those orders and do their job. Where a leader will inspire others to do the job and to do it effectively, but to even do it better than they can do it. Mm -hmm. My goal as a leader is always to find those that were better than me in a particular area of weakness to help the whole organization rise to a new level. So I'm not a great accountant. I don't want to get in deep into the books and do all the filings and all that. So I find great people to do that work. And then I put my trust in them and I empower them to do the, you know, that work. And then when it comes time for the financials, they look beautiful and ultimately you get the credit. You don't have yeah, to, you know. right. <laughs> I defer it, but it's always, it's like, wow, that's great. I didn't have to worry about that. So. And when you, when you uh, delegate, when you're using influence and all of that, yeah. that really is a, a place of vulnerability really, isn't it? It is. It is. Because, you know, for example, just on the financials, you know, there are times when leaders, I, especially the ones I work with, are are concerned about a board member or board members finding out that maybe they don't understand, you know, the difference between debits and credits. I mean, I'll just use a simple example or what a deficit is versus a surplus, what a profit is versus not having a profit. Um, you know, so they, they worry about that. But ultimately, you know, they shouldn't. And because that just takes a small learning curve. And if they turn that over to, you know, the professional or the, really a person that specializes, again, they raise up and you empower them to do that and give them the freedom. The reason they're at that level in your senior leadership team, I'll just start with that. Um, when you bring in a CFO and you're the president and you call them a chief financial officer, there's a reason. They're an expert for a reason. And right. they're given that title for a reason. And that's when you just have to step back and say, okay, I'm going to allow you. And you do your checks and balances, you know, maybe put a board member or two there to, to make, who do specialize in that to make sure that what they're doing is, you know, above board and you have auditors and all that. But, um, but ultimately that when they are good and you trust them, you need to empower them to do the work that they do. Okay. Is there, let's say uh, you have a, a teacher in a school and their department head is more manager than leader. Can mm -hmm. individuals um, lead upward? Can they uh, lead their leaders? Is there a way they can provide uh, a, maybe a, an upward influence in that? They can, yes. And I think it's it, take, it takes a little, a little work because they have to be very careful how they do it so they don't feel – so the, the manager – I'll just say that. We just define that term. The manager um, is not feeling like you're trying to take over their position or right. you're not threatening them uh, because when they become – when it becomes a threat, managers will typically – really try to squelch and they do all sorts of things uh, potentially because they feel threatened and they feel threatened because they're vulnerable, right? They, they, they know their weakness and it's a, it's a cover up in some respects, but, but they can, but you know, they have to have a real strong emotional intelligence. I don't know if you've ever heard of EQ. EQ you... is, yeah, that's a great term, isn't it? it we could is. almost do a whole program on that, couldn't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe that's another time. Or maybe you got to get the author of the Emotional Intelligence book. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it is a great book, read because it does talk about how many great leaders are very high in emotional intelligence versus, you know, the IQ. You don't have to have an IQ to be a strong leader. Um, and that's where I think, 
you know, a lot of universities, well, even high schools now, I mean, they're figuring out that we'll put the high IQ person in as our provost or mm -hmm. our principal, and we'll have the president on the high EQ side to go out and meet the public and, you know, raise the money and right. create relationships. It's a, it's a, a very, it's a very strong partnership when it's done right. So. Let's say that um, an a individual has just been appointed as the president of a high school, and he comes in and he's replacing somebody who's more of a manager. Yes. Um, he wants to establish a culture. Is it going to take him 20 years to do that? Or how, how do you see a culture being established uh, in that kind of a setting? Well, the first thing I would do if I were them is to do um, a 90-day listening plan at the minimum. Maybe it's six months, depending how quick, how large your organization is. But that 90-day plan would include having listening sessions where you as the leader now sit people down in smaller groups. I don't recommend anything larger than 15 to 20 and listen to their concerns and their worries and some of those type of things. Don't I would not give any type of, you know, strong vision, especially if you're a leader. I want to come in and change all these things. Yeah. They're already fearful. So if you come in and start talking about things that maybe you want to do and they're not prepared for that, you could just scare them even further and you and you push them deeper down. Right. Into right. <laughs> so, yeah. But but uh, but having listening sessions to where they can give you feedback and tell you the you'd be surprised at how you might even change a little bit of the vision, but you also find out that most of them are there for the strong mission. And then you just rally around their messaging and their questioning. And next thing you know, they're on board with you and you can start building that culture out. And from there, you'd also define those that don't really care. Those that are not a part of the mission and all of that. I, re I, I remember vividly, uh, Father Randy, having one conversation, one of these, and I threw the question out, what is your biggest concern? Because you always have to have a few questions just to get it started. What's your biggest concern? And somebody piped up. He was the janitor. And he said, I'm worried I'm going to get fired. Yeah. Said, I mean, he's the janitor. I'm like, I, I'm not even focused on this person. Yeah. And I said, why? Because everybody around me has been fired. So I'm worried about that. Can you assure me I won't be fired? I mean, it was just... um you know, eye-opening to me that the lowest level on the org chart in some respects was giving that comment. I'm going, everybody must be feeling this if he is. So mm -hmm. all I had was great reviews about him, honestly, going into that meeting. So Right. Yeah. So establishing the culture is something that you can actually begin with day one. Absolutely. And my guess is that what has to happen is in order for that culture to be perpetuated, you can't do it from sitting in your office and issuing memos. That's correct. That's correct. It's got to be, you have, as a leader, you got to get to know your people. And so those listening sessions are one. And then if there are major concerns, or I even had, you get introverts in rooms and they don't want to talk. I would set up one-on-one -on -one meetings with a lot of them. Um, I, I was even, um, you know, if you're at a school, you go to the cafeteria, sit with the students hear their concerns or things that are going on, yeah. you know, you learn a lot of things there. Um, you know, there's so many, but there's lots of different ways, but that connection, that listening, that, you know, showing empathy toward people and they're, you know, you find out that 
you hear that so-and-so is not doing a great job. And then you find out that their spouse has cancer and hadn't really shared that with anybody. That's learning that one-on-one and you, you all of a sudden, everything changes your dynamics about that individual, your opinions. And so that's an empathetic leader in getting to know your people. So it's not easy. It's hard work, mm-hmm. but it, it changes the culture eventually. So, or can. So Now I would, I would imagine that being a leader involves more than just establishing the culture. Correct. But going beyond establishing the culture to actually doing something in the culture. Yes. What, what, what tell us about that. What, okay. what do you see as the role of the leader in actually doing the work? Well, I think it's, it's, it's communication, 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 constantly defining the mission and then creating your vision for the mission. And if you find people that are not in tune with the mission and they're resistant to the mission, you're going to have to probably eventually um, make a move to where they're going to have to join another organization. Right. And, but, but I, I mean, you, when you step into organizations, the mission defines, especially non, it's not just nonprofits, it's, it's organizations everywhere. Mm-hmm. They have a definitive mission. And in order to create a great, you know, company, great organization, you, you're going to establish that new vision going forward but it's all going to be based off of the mission that you're taking over. So once that once that's established, once you learn who's on board, and then you start getting the right people on the bus in the right seats, um, you'd be surprised at how quickly it can change. So peer pressure. Uh, and you uh, mentioned both mission and vision, which yeah. have some similarity, but also have some difference. Vision is looking more to the future. Right. Mission is more about boots on the ground moving forward. You know, it's interesting. We just finished uh, a seven-part series on um, the five essential marks of Catholic schools. And the first one is inspired by a supernatural vision. Mm. And that, to me, sounds like the the work of the, the administrators, the presidents, the principals. This has got to be uh, a main thing that they do is to uh, really embrace this vision that God has given them for, let's say, a school, and then to communicate it outwardly. Yes, and you know, in where you get that inspiration is in the in in the Adoration Chapel, going to Mass. You know, uh-huh. you you have to lead with prayer as a leader, and I, I can't tell you how many times that I was sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and and as a leader, I, I thought if I'm going to ask. This is at the university specifically. If I'm going to ask my students to have a 24-7 perpetual adoration chapel, I better lead with the hard stuff. So I took the 3 a.m. hour. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But that became a real inspirational moment for because it was such a quiet time that you don't normally get as a leader because you constantly have all these other things going on. But I love that hour. I was, mm-hmm. I was so protective of it. So, um, right. and, but I had a lot of inspiration. I'd wake up the next morning, and there were things that came to my mind that were not mine. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, God God was providing that, and the Holy Spirit and the wisdom, and you need it. And God will give you those graces as a leader when you ask him for those. And you'll, you'll look back and say, I don't know how I did it. But I, what you do know how you did it is because you led the mm-hmm. prayer and integrated yeah. that into your life. So. It would seem to me that leadership um, has become a harder task due to social media, yes. that many of the decisions made by a leader uh, are not only 
propagated in the context that they're uh, meant to be in a school, for example, but they're they're taken onto the public platform. How do you see a leader having to think differently today? Boy, oh boy, <laughs> it is a new challenge. And the and the the challenge is is that you you have to stay principled to to what you plan to do. So if we're rooted in our Catholic faith and we know we have a defined mission, right, for our Catholic faith, um, you're, that's not going to change our belief. Our core belief is that, you know, the, in the Eucharist, our core belief, right. we have beliefs. Those aren't going to change. So no matter what anybody says on social media, they're not going to change your belief that we have the true presence, okay? So mm -hmm. that, that, that's just kind of one example. But you have to really figure out, you know, ahead of time, which ones are you willing to give on a little bit or a lot and others that are totally off the table. So if it's off the table, then you're not going to listen to all the chatter that goes mm -hmm. on. And then you just have to learn and understand and to communicate well that core principle, why you're doing what you're doing, what's happening. And people may not agree, but they will respect um, mm -hmm. what you're trying so. I know one of the one of the um, terms that you like to use is bold leadership. Yes. Yeah. What uh, what does bold leadership look like? Yeah, standing up for those principles. Okay. <laughs> that was a good leading question then, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was. Well, I'll tell you, I, I um, um, I'll give you an example of bold leadership. So uh, when, when I came into Catholic Charities there in Kansas City, um, we, we had, I, I met with a donor, um, and who, who is very disgruntled with the organization. And I said, what, what's your, what do you see as the main issue? And he says, well, there's two. He goes, you're neither Catholic nor charitable. Oh, and I, I mean, it was like a punch in the gut. And yeah. I say, wow. And, um, and so I said to myself, I had to really reflect on that. What's going on in the culture of the organization to give even a donor who isn't necessarily involved in the day-to-day -day, that impression. And so that's when I started diving in individually and I had to make some bold decisions. And that is, um, you know, we had um, somebody that was, they looked like they were part of the mission, but they had no belief in God, had no belief in the Catholic faith, and they were in a leading role in the organization. And I found out they were undermining a lot of things that we were trying to accomplish from a Catholic perspective by undermining the Catholic faith as a very bright individual. And so once I discovered what that was about, I had to make a bold decision to get rid of a very popular individual <laughs> uh -huh. in the organization. And so it was a matter of, you know, I knew I was going to catch a lot of heat and a lot of people were going to come after me, but they were not right for the mission. Mm -hmm. And so that all of that, matriculation of, um, and then you find out all sorts of things afterwards, you usually go, wow. Some people have come to you and go, why didn't you make that change sooner? <laughs> it's like, well, right. why didn't you come to me sooner and tell me what they were doing? That was so contrary. Um, but, but also bold leadership is that you stand up again for what you believe. And going back to Catholic charities, I made the decision to interview everyone that walked in the door for any new position and that interview was really relegated toward, I didn't worry about the skills. I told my HR person and, and the supervisors that were doing the hiring, you you go through the skill sets, make sure they have all the mm -hmm. skills we need for that position. I'm going to talk about the mission. 
And that's where I would define, I'd mm-hmm. lay our mission statement out in front of them, along with my vision statement. And uh, I would show that to them. I'd ask them to read it in front of me. We would then have a discussion about how they saw themselves fitting into either one of those. And you would be shocked at what you find out mm-hmm. in those areas. And I, would, I made many bold decisions to, mm-hmm. we needed a position, we needed the staff hired. And we were, we were really hurting, but I couldn't put that individual in those spots um, mm-hmm. because they were so contrary to what we were trying to do at Catholic Charities. I, I think that's a really key point is that you've got to be willing to follow through, yes. uh, you know, when you find out what needs to happen. The other thing that I, I really picked up from what you were saying is you have to be willing to engage your detractors. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> that's kind of a scary thing. I remember uh, when I uh, was president of the high school, some of my toughest things were meeting with parents who were not yes. quite uh, catching the vision of what we were doing there at the school. And uh, it they were some really hard meetings, but you had to go through them for two reasons. One is to help them to understand what's really you're trying to do. And number two, find out maybe there's something that they really are picking up on that I need yes. to be aware of. Well, then, and then you find out too, once they understand, a lot of them will become one of your biggest champions. Yeah. So those yeah. that were doing the detracting, you know, on the side, um, all of a sudden now become a supporter. And I, I would never turn down at the university a, a parent that would call me. I would talk to them and they would have complaints and they would tell me, I never expected you to talk to me. And I say, well, you called me. Yeah, (laughs) tell me your concern and you'd be shocked at how easy the lot of the conversations went because they were coming in you know with 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 vile and and venom and you know vigor but you diffuse it all by just accepting the phone call or you know setting up a time to really talk and uh, it just i did it time and time and time again and those people ended up becoming you know great parents within the Mm -hmm. university yeah. Time. So it is, it's not easy because your anxiety builds up and nobody really likes confrontation, mm-hmm. but you have to really confront those things up front so they don't escalate and balloon into just major issues. So. Yeah, exactly. Now, when we talk about bold leadership, um, <clears throat> what would be the difference between being a bold leader and a reckless leader? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Reckless is making quick decisions without getting all the buy-in from everybody. <laughs> you know, you you just make a decision based on your own subjective viewpoints. Mm-hmm. That is not a good way. To, that's reckless. It can be because if, for example, if you're going to make a decision about, um, you know, something that's impacting the faculty, if you don't have your faculty engaged in those conversations to figure out, is this going to work or not, that, that's, that could blow up in your face. So. Yeah. Um, Now, once you've kind of got a consensus, maybe it's only a few because you know that they're the only ones really truly on board with your what you're thinking and you're thinking this could be the right decision. Then you may have to be that's where the bold boldness comes in to where this is it. This is principled. I'm going to do this. And you're going to have some of your naysayers no matter what. But but yeah, reckless is jumping ahead too fast. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, just, and p- trying to pound it down people's throat, going, oh, it's going to be good for them. It's like, mm-hmm. even in parenting, you know, I mean, I found it's a lot better to talk to your kids and go, now, okay, so I asked you to be home at 11. You came home at one o'clock in the morning. 
what do you think is wrong with this equation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Versus hitting them at the door going, you're grounded, you know? Yeah. They have resentment. <laughs> now, what do you think the punishment should be? You're two hours late, you know? Yeah. They're usually uh, give themselves harsher punishment than what I would give them. But so that was always the positive in that respect. But so anyway. That's yeah. It. Well, I think this is really good for us to always reflect upon because sometimes it's so easy to react rather than to respond to a situation, just going to make a decision, you know, we're going yeah. this way. And, uh, and there are times you have to do that. I will say yeah. that in the pandemic was one of them because that's you remember, true. Yeah. You remember father Randy, people were calling all the time. What's going to happen. What are we going to do? What's what are we going to have classes today? Are we going to, you know, what's going on? And they, and I learned in those moments in crisis moments like that, you got, you have to make a decision now to just help people to move forward you can change it tomorrow you know and that's what i learned sure. in the midst of crisis like that so yeah it's okay to make a decision today quickly because everybody's in a panic and say okay this is what we're doing and they're okay okay we're gonna do that and then tomorrow you get all sorts of new data and different things come at you okay what are we gonna do now okay well it's gonna change here Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where you know, oh we're going to have in you know live class oh wait nope we're going back to yeah <laughs> we got to go back to you know stay at home again so yeah well yeah because the pandemic it was kind of like they kept changing the goalposts in the middle of the game yes, exactly. it was here and then it was there and then it was here and you're right it was a lot of immediate decisions I know for us one of the best things we did we had a a, a kind of a group made up of parents and experts in health and cleaning and doctors and things. And we met once a week. Yes. And our principal kind of led the group. And so we did a lot of what ifs yeah. ahead of time, because that way we had more information so that if we came to those things, we wouldn't necessarily already know what we're going to say, but well, based on what we've been hearing, you know, this is what we'll do, you know, or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I was meeting with my, I had a, a coronavirus response team and we met every morning. Yeah, and I had to give me a quick briefing and an update, and then I, we would make decisions from there. So, yeah, same type. That's you have to. So. Yep, and yeah. it was fun when you had to do it on Zoom. Oh, God. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> the internet would still, go down, or somebody know, would had, freeze. Yeah, and, you know. I honestly, I never, I never, I, I had all my meetings in person. Oh, good for I you. The, I never shut the university down. Mm -hmm. we, I allowed virtual classes for those that wanted to be be at home, uh -huh. work that out. But I still had 200 kids on campus live. And the state of Florida obviously was a little, we had a little freer ability to do those things, but yeah. uh, we're still live at the end of the semester um, with about 200 students out of the, you know, 11, 1200 that were there. Yeah. But that's, it's pretty amazing that you could keep the, keep the doors open, keep things going. And again, a lot of it had to do with ge geography, where you were in the country, what state you were a part of, et cetera. So, hey, I want to shift. I want to talk about your book because I, I really enjoyed it, uh, Walking the Leadership Tightrope. And to me, it was kind of like reading your biography and reading a leadership primer all at yes. the same time. That's a, that was did, did, am I catching how, what you <laughs> were trying to do there? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So, I, so my goal, there's a lot of books on leadership that are theoretical, and I, I wanted to make one that was more experiential. So describing my early childhood and my life, how I developed my leadership skills and um, how it all 
translated into my future, you know, leadership opportunities I had um, all, all the way through, you know, corporate and then into um, uh, the nonprofit and higher education. So, so all of that was, you know, the, the, the tying line to everything, you know, the, the subtitle being how to balance career and family through the chaos of crisis, you know, in those challenging times, what was that underlying factor? And it was my faith. And I learned that from my grandmother, you know, seven years old. And my parents, of course, were, were great as well, gave me that great support. But but my grandmother would take me to mass every morning mm-hmm. as a seven-year-old. And I would, you know, I would serve mass because I had nobody else in the parish to serve the mass. We're talking in the 70s. Sure. And so, and I learned how to be an entrepreneur because I learned how to make money because the little old ladies would slip me fives and tens just for showing up. <laughs> As a wealthiest altar server in the state of Kansas, so <laughs> yeah, a professional altar server. Those are that's right. Yeah, <laughs> they thought I was there because I love my faith as a kid. I was loving it because they were slipping me fives and tens. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, when I was but out whatever in Virginia, it is, Christ yeah. uses even the the you know material things to attract us to His yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, when I was out in Virginia, we had uh, several uh, of our servers that would contact the church every few days to ask if there was a funeral. Exactly. <laughs> that was good. Funerals they, and weddings, that was a good yeah, They could get out of school, and yep. they could make a little money on the side. And we always uh, hoped they would take us to the cemetery to take a little extra time out of school. Exactly. Yes, indeed. You know, one of the things that you brought up in the book, and you, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, is uh, the difference in leadership uh, between say the profit world and the nonprofit world. And you also kind of singled out that it's also different in higher education and education itself. How, what would you characterize as some of the differences that we have to look for in educational leadership? Well, I think the, the, you know, the idea of, you know, in the corporate world, you're driven a lot by your profits and that that's just, if you're not profitable, you know, you're not, you're not going to, um, uh, uh, um, you're not going to please your, your stockholders or your shareholders. In a nonprofit world, that isn't necessarily your focus. You're, you want to make money because you need to serve those that you're taking care of. And in and, and, and our schools, it's our students, right? right. So pay our teachers and all that. Um, but it doesn't have to be an overabundance of money to be able to operate. And um, so, so there's that. You also have um, that balance of, you know, faculty. And if you're in higher education, you have tenured faculty. So there's a different dynamic when it comes to taking over maybe a higher education organization. And you have tenured faculty that may not be completely in tune with your mission. Um, and those are going to be more of a challenge uh, to root out, if you will, um, if you have to. Um, and not, not that it can't be done. It's very, very difficult. We're on the staff side. You know, they're they're operating, they're not under contract for the most part. And, you know, and they're working and, and doing their jobs. You also have fundraising, you have athletics, you know, all of these things are all these different components that go into a, a organization that drive enrollment. You know, you get admissions, you know, and all those you have retention. I mean, so student life, residence life. Um and uh, there's so many different components that go into higher education that is different than the corporate world. Where if you're in the insurance world, you may have three lines of insurance, you know, the property, casualty, work comp, maybe life insurance. That's a little bit simpler than education where you have so many different dynamics. So, Yeah. And you also have, um, well, to use the customer service idea, we also have different customers. The students are customers, parents are yeah. customers, donors are yeah. customers. 
and the community is, and all of them have a, a different sense of uh, what they need in messaging and everything, don't they? That's exactly right. And when you and then when you're when you're Catholic, you know, you have your bishop, you know, that's overseeing things and wanting certain things done in the proper way. So, yeah. so all of that gets fielded out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that is for sure. And yeah. again, uh, even if you want to take it to the next level, we want to be sure that we are pleasing to the Lord in what we do. That everything that we do in our educational mission uh, is is giving Him glory. And you know that's that that Father Randy integrating your Catholic faith with everything you do, whether it's corporate leadership, whether it's you know nonprofit education, whatever that may be, integrating your Catholic faith. It, it can't. I never understood those that would travel, and when they travel, they set their faith on the shelf until they come back home, and now mm -hmm. they're back into their Catholic faith. They forget about their spouses when they're on the road and they do, you know, things that they would never do, you know, if their spouse was there. And um, so it's a matter of when you, when you're truly, you know, devoted to your Catholic faith, you integrate it in everything that you do in your work life. And you can do that. You do not have to shelve it for certain decisions or certain things that you do. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, in one of the um, sessions we did on those five essential marks, one of the observations is that just because you put a crucifix up in a room doesn't make it a Catholic school. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's so much more going on. Well, yes. I have one final question for you. And that is our audience is primarily Catholic school administrators, Catholic teachers and uh, educators. Yes. Um, as a former president of a Catholic university and having worked in uh, Catholic education and through your lens as a coach, what what message would you like to leave with those who are listening today as far as their mission and their future in Catholic education? Lead with your faith. Lead with your faith. Do not be afraid to share your faith any chance you get, whether it's a student, share your faith story. Share with them, you know, your commitment to the Catholic faith and demonstrate it. Lead with prayer. Father Randy, you started this with with the prayer, you know, and our, 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 our podcast here, the same thing, lead your meetings with prayer, uh, make sure that it's incorporated in everything you do. I love the fact that St. Michael's that you had mass every day. That's one of the things that we had at the university. Also, we had at perpetual Eucharistic adoration. Students lived there so they could staff it 24 seven, Right. but consider doing right. things like that, that really authentically make it Catholic and don't be afraid. And I think once people see that leadership in you, they see you as an authentic leader, and then they want to follow. And it doesn't matter, again, if you're a teacher in the classroom, teach that to your students. Talk to them about the Catholic faith, your Catholic faith, because guess what? Some of them are sitting there questioning, especially high, well, uh, our youth, they're questioning their faith. They've got so all the social media coming at them, telling them that they're crazy, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> all sorts of things. When you need to reaffirm them, this is who God created them to be. And God created you to be, you know, these loving, beautiful people in the Catholic faith is the way to the truth and to help them understand that. And when you do that, you impact so many people, you'll be surprised. Then you're impacting generations to come. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And how wonderful to hear stories in the decades to come of ways that you influenced and transformed the lives of the students that you've worked with. Absolutely. How good that would be. 
And I appreciate you as a leader with two of my sons. Oh, thank <laughs> I know, you. I know they, when I told um, my son, Michael, that I was going to be talking to you today, he was, he was the first graduating class of St. Michael's, who you remember, the first four-year graduating yep, class. Yep, the first four years, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, but he said, oh, Father Randy, I love Father Randy. He said, oh, so, that's he great. Said, oh, yeah, hello. So anyway. oh, wonderful. Yeah, I remember that graduation. That was our first graduation out of COVID, I think. We finally broke through and. Yeah, right. yeah, we were in person. That's right. Yeah, we were in person. Hey, yeah. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today on Follow the Lead. And if there are those in our audience that want to know more about you and more about partnering with uh, ICE Executive uh, Coaching and Consulting, where can they go? Well, you have two two ways. Well, I guess the main way is ice iceexecutivecoaching.com is my website. And that'll give you a lot of information on uh, things that I do and, and all of that and in the leadership. I also am now um, within that. I'm doing speaking engagements, uh, talking a lot about my book, uh, which you referred to, um, Walking the Leadership Tightrope, which is on Amazon. And uh, so it can be purchased through my website. It'll take you to Amazon, I believe. Um, but anyway, those are ways to uh, reach me. So Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for being with us. And uh, to our audience, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow our podcast and to leave a comment to encourage us towards future programming. And to learn more about the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative, you can visit our website at diaschools.org. And we also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for assisting in the production of this podcast. And I have to say a farewell to Alex. He's heading off to college. He has been our production assistant since the very first podcast back in January of 2021. So, Alex, thank you. God bless you and appreciate you for being a part of what we're doing here at Follow to Lead. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altam Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.